Well, good morning and welcome to Friendship Baptist Church. So glad that you are here once again. Um, well, this, let me begin by saying um, thank you for the past two weeks of our Sundays, allowing Danny and I to, to be off. Um, did not like missing, but we were grateful that, that Bill and Derek were able to fill in. And I know that both of those men did an outstanding job. Well, this morning we're beginning a new sermon series in the book of James. Our title um, for this series is going to be A Faith That Works. Now, that title goes against what many people believe today. It's contrary to what our, our thought process is. Why is that? Um, because we run from that word work, don't we? We do not like associating faith and works or grace and works together. Um, people believe that if you do, then that means that salvation is conditional. It's conditioned upon um, um, the works that I do. That's so far from the truth. And we're going to see that as we walk through this sermon series together. Paul made that abundantly clear in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verses 8 and 9. We read these words. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of work, so that no man may boast. You and I were saved by grace. A hundred percent, it was an act of God in human history where he came and he dwelt among us. He went to the cross. He died on the cross for our sins. His blood provided a covering for those sins. And three days later, after he was placed in that tomb, he rose to life again, providing a way that all of us in this room can experience life. It's a hundred percent God. 100% grace. But understand, we are saved by grace, but we are saved unto something. And we read in verse 10 these words, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Notice what we were created for. For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are saved by grace, but we are saved unto something. We are saved to do good works, to do great works for the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we breathe in and out every day so that we can bring honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. We also breathe in and breathe out every day so that those that we come in proximity of can get a glimpse of who Jesus is through us. Um, within the expository commentary, the very um, first part speaks to why we study James. I thought this was just good. Um, a quote by Doriani. And it says, we study James to examine the relationship between faith and works. On the one hand, James refers to faith 14 different times throughout his work. On the other hand, this letter from James is filled with commands to obey out of 108 verses. 59 of those deal with specific commands to the believers. Obedience is everywhere throughout this book, and we're going to see that, and we're going to study that. We're going to see that faith acts. Faith works. People today say that Christianity is not about doing works. It's not about doing this or doing that, but James, as we will see here, James is going to call a time out there. He's going to say it is about works, because it's about after Christ gets in us. It's not, he's not supposed to just stay in us, in us, is he? He, 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 he wants to get out of us onto other people. And that's what the Christian life is all about. You don't just listen to the word, you do it. And you put that word into practice. James is a practical book, and we're going to see 
practical application throughout this great book. This morning, we're going to look at trials together, okay? None of us like to go through trials, but trials are part of life. We're also going to see, as we study this book, we're going to see issues like poverty, like wealth, materialism, social justice. We're going to look at the tongue, worldliness, boasting, and praying. Chuck Swindoll puts the book of James together like this. He says, when faith is stretched, it doesn't break. When faith is pressed, it doesn't fail. When faith is expressed, it doesn't explode. And when faith is distressed, it doesn't panic. What does faith do? Faith acts. Faith changes us and, and, and leads us to want to see the lives of those that we do life with, their lives changed as well. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning to James chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 5 together. We're going to really focus in on verse 1 through 4. We'll, we'll touch on verse 5, and the next week we'll pick up at verse 5 and, and walk through the rest of chapter 1. But verses 1 through 5 this morning, these are the words of the Lord. We read, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes, tribes in the dispersion, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning. Father, as we Begin walking through this great book of James, Father. I pray, Lord Jesus, that all of our lives will be transformed by the powers, power of your word, Lord. Father, we know that your word is powerful. We know that your word is living and it's active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And so we pray, Father God, that as we study your word, not only in this room this morning, but as we go back to our homes and we study your word, Father, we pray that we will allow your word to transform us, Father. And Lord, I pray that this sermon series will transform us as well. And I pray that all of us will realize that, yes, life is hard. Yes, life is tough. But we can overcome the trials that we face in this life because we are your children. Father, we live our lives up under your banner. And your banner provides a covering for us, a hedge of protection for us. So there is nothing, Lord Jesus that we are unable to sustain as believers. Because we know, Lord Jesus, that you, Father, are going to provide a way out for us. So speak to us and, and as we walk through this series together. We love you and we thank you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, notice our first point this morning. It's this, a brother's transformation. Verse 1 again, we read, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Who is James? Okay, um, here is who James is. James is actually the half-brother of Jesus Christ. When he penned this book, he was actually the leader of the Jerusalem church. Here's what is amazing about James. Prior to the death of Christ, James was not a follower 
of Christ. In fact, he was very, very antagonistic, antagonistic toward his never had done anything wrong brother. Okay, think about this, okay? Think about if you grew up in the home of Jesus, all right? Your older brother is Jesus, and, and, and here you are, all of the days of your childhood being compared to Jesus. Why can't you be like Jesus? You know, sometimes Caitlin is, um, will say, you show favoritism to Connor. Well, that's not true, but she likes to point out that we do that. Well, here's what we know for sure. We know that, that Joseph and Mary probably showed a little bit of favoritism toward Jesus. Not only was Jesus perfect, but he was also the son of God. You don't want to mess up parenting there, do you? Okay, so here, here James is. All of the days of his life, he's being compared to his older, older brother, Jesus. And here are some words that we read to get a glimpse of how, 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 how antagonistic James might have been. We read in John chapter 7, verses 3 through 5. So his brother said to him, leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. And you kind of get a glimpse of just his, his, his kind of bitterness within these words. Verse 5 says, For not even his brothers believed in him. But following the death of Jesus, James would become a follower. And he won't refer to, to Jesus as his brother. He's going to refer to Jesus as being the King of kings, the Lord of lords, God indeed. An early historian of the church says that James was such a man of prayer that his knees had large, thick calluses, making them look like the knees of camels. In fact, it's, apparently James was given the nickname Camel Knees. That's a prayer warrior, isn't it? Man, that's someone that we can emulate and learn to emulate as believers. It also says that James was martyred in Jerusalem. He was thrown off um, the, the temple, the highest point, thrown to the ground. He survived that, but he would be beaten while he was on the ground, and he would die a martyr's death. James, yes, he was the brother of Jesus, but he does not refer to himself as the brother of Jesus, but as a servant of his. Verse point two is this. A servant's address. Again, verse 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. This word servant is an important word because it gives us a glimpse into the kind of, of a man that James was in the position that he held of servitude to the Lord. This word servant means a slave or a bond servant, one who is in a permanent relation of servitude to another. James is telling his readers here that I am a slave of the Lord, acknowledging and affirming that he recognized Jesus to be more than just his brother. He recognized him to be the Lamb of God, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords. Who is Jesus to you this morning? Is he just some good man, a good teacher that lived some 2,000 years ago? Or is he the king of kings and the Lord of lords? If, if you can't answer that he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords, I pray that this morning you'll make the greatest decision that you could ever make. And that is to enter into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, just as, as his brother James did. He surrendered his life over to the lordship of Jesus. 
This book was written to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. What does that mean? Well, here's what happened. Following the death of Stephen, um, persecution really amped up in Jerusalem. If you were a believer, your life became um, in danger. People were trying to hunt you down and try to kill you. And one of those people that tried to do that was, the, was, was Saul, who would become the apostle Paul. We read in Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, we read these words, And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentations over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. I mean, so there was a lot that was going on within Jerusalem. And the reason the church scattered was because of the persecution. Here's what I love about James. James had a shepherd's heart. Even though the men, students, and children that once made up his church no longer were a part of his church, but had scattered around to the known world, James still cared about them. He still shepherded them. He still reached out to them to encourage them. You know, um, I still have the opportunity to do life with a, with a lot of people that I used to go to church with. Um, and I do that because these people are my friends, and I've had the opportunity to walk with them and encourage them and strengthen them. They've walked with me and encouraged me and strengthened me over the years as well. Why do I stay in contact with them? Because, because they're more than, than, than just my friends. They're my brothers. Well, when you get in a relationship with another group, with a group of people within a church, a lot of times you keep those contacts, don't you? Even after you leave that church, and that's exactly what James did. James continues to encourage those that scattered away from his from his um, from the Jerusalem church. So here's what we see. All of this leads up to the third point. So persecution has come, the church is scattered, and now we see what James wants his readers to, to, to understand and begin to get a glimpse of all of the different um, things that he's going to address with them. So the first thing that we see here, um, point number three, is this, a believer's attitude, okay? Verse two, okay, is actually probably one of the most difficult verses in God's Word to, to truly comprehend and also to kind of truly accept, okay? We read these words. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, okay? Right off the bat, James makes it clear that trials are unavoidable. He does not say if you meet trials, does he? He says when you meet trials. Raise your hand if you've ever experienced a trial in your life, okay? If your hand is not up, then I promise you there's going to come a day when your hand is going to go up because trials are unavoidable, and we see that throughout Scripture. And Paul makes this clear in 1 Thessalonians 3.3. 3. He says that no one be moved by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. We are destined 
for trials. As hard as that is to say, then as hard as that is to, to receive, Scripture is clear that we are destined for these things. Peter wrote in, in, in um, 1 Peter 4.12, we read, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Don't be surprised by these things, is what Peter is saying. Jesus even said in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, 11 through 12, he, he, he said, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus is making it clear, and he does this in other verses as well throughout the Gospels, that we are going to experience persecution. We are going to experience trials as believers of his. So again, James wrote, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Other translations here say, um, when you encounter trials. These words literally mean to fall into something. How many of you, um, if you, if you drive um, uh, enough and drive these Texas roads that we have here uh, around, Texas roads are still better than any other road that I've ever driven, but, but one thing happens is if you drive long enough, you're going to encounter a pothole, aren't you? Okay? A lot of times, what do those potholes do? They destroy the front end of your car. Well, well, the picture here is that, that not only are we going to hit potholes in life, but there's going to be times that we're going to fall into sinkholes. Okay, hopefully we've never fallen into a sinkhole literally, but spiritually and physically, there's going to come times in our lives when we're going to be able to endure the little potholes, but there's going to be those other times when it's going to be, um, we're going to get swallowed up by the ground and it's going to seem like, how am I going to get out of this mess that I'm in? Or how am I going to get out of, out of, out of this circumstance that I'm in? So, so we get kind of a picture of both things, and, and James tells us, he says, there will be various trials. So the indication here is that there's going to be some little trials, and there's going to be some massive trials that we go through. Think about some of the trials that you've gone through in your life, okay? Um, financial trials academic trials. Maybe you've experienced a crisis of faith trial in your life. Maybe it was a moral trial or a marriage trial or um, some of you may have been betrayed by a family member or a friend or a loved one. Maybe you've lost a job or, or lost a spouse, lost a, a parent, maybe a health trial. All of us have been there. All of us have gone through these particular kinds of trials. So how do we count it all joy in the midst of such trials? I don't know about you. Some of the trials that I've gone through, I've got angry. Okay? And what does anger turn to? A lot of times it turns to bitterness, doesn't it? Sometimes, you know, I've gone through trials and I've literally kind of wanted to throw in the towel and say, I give up. I can't do this anymore. And I've walked with some of you, and I've experienced you kind of be in that state as well. Sometimes we, 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 when we go through trials, we question God, and we say, why, why me? Or why them? And, and sometimes we kind of have that, that component within us, and we're like, man, why not that person? Okay? They're not a follower of yours, so why aren't you testing that person? Or why isn't that person experiencing the pain that, that I'm going through? So how do we count it all joy? This word count means to, to, to press your mind down on something. Okay, the picture here is of someone um, 
leading his or her mind through a reasoning process to arrive at a different conclusion. Have you, have you ever kind of been there where you've just kind of been left with maybe you're at, on your desk at work and you just kind of put your, your hands on, on, on your head and you're just, man, you just kind of just find yourself just, just really thinking through the process. Trying to, trying to figure out what's going on. And that's kind of what it means here to, to count it all joy. Man, we consider what we're going through and think about what we're going through. You and I are to think about our trials, to put them into proper perspective. We consider or, or we need to, here's what we need to do when we go through trials. We need to bring God into our trials. You know, sometimes we try to do it on our own, don't we? We try to go through life on our own, but God never intended us to go through this life on our own. God created us for a relationship with him, and he created us to let us know that we are not alone. So consider every trial that you go through. Have you ever heard the phrase jubilation and tribulation? Jubilation and tribulation, you and I can actually tell others when we're going through a trial, man, I'm not just getting by, but I'm actually thriving through this. Okay, how can we say that we're thriving in the midst of this tribulation? Because we understand that the Lord is, is, is with us. He is our strength. Philippians 4.13, when you, when you look at that passage in proper perspective, we like to always refer to Philippians 4.13, that I can do physically strength, all things through Christ who strengthens me. But, but that verse means so much more than that. You and I can turn to the Lord when we're going through trials and realize that he can give us the strength to get through those trials. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Within the expository commentary we read, we need to realize that trials are not joyful in and of themselves, but they are joyful when we realize they are under the authority of a sovereign God who is accomplishing his purpose through them. We may not find happiness during our trials, but we certainly can be made holy during our times of trials. We can certainly be made more like Jesus during our times of trials. James knew what a trial was, okay? Here, here's what we know about James, okay? Yes, he, he was the leader of the Jerusalem church, okay? Overnight, possibly, potentially, his church went from thousands of people to maybe hundreds or dozens of people. So he experienced trial, the trial of loss. Those that, that had to leave Jerusalem and flee to other places, they would have lost their jobs. They would have lost their homes. Many of them, before they ever scattered, possibly were beaten. beaten. And, and, and many of those that had been scattered even lost loved ones because they were martyred for their faith. So James is telling his friends and us to embrace the trials, not for what they were, but for what God can accomplish through them. In Romans eight eighteen, we read these words. Paul said, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. We suffer for a little while here, but this is not our home, is it? Man, this is just a temporary home of ours. We're passing through this place, and there is a home awaiting us, 
On the other side of this life and that home is, is where the Lord Jesus Christ is. And we have this promise in Scripture that he is even there preparing a place for us now. So we can get through these trials of life having hope and knowing that, that, that any trial that we're going through is temporary. Because we can overcome, we will overcome because we are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, we read, No temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Trials will come, and we have this promise in Scripture that we will be able to endure every single trial that comes our way. Notice what these trials do. Okay, these trials produce, first, testing produces steadfastness. In verse 3, we read, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. First, let's see a trial for what it is. Okay, it is a testing of our faith. Throughout the Bible, we see biblical character after biblical character after biblical character that was tested for their faith. A few that come to mind, Job was tested. Abraham was tested. Joseph was tested. We know Jesus was tested. We know that Paul was tested. We know that P Peter was tested. And the list goes on and on and on. Every single one of us in this room that are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, you too have been tested in your life life. Testing. Here's what, here's what it refers to. It, it, it refers to gold or silver or some form of precious metal being heated until all of those impurities are brought to the top and those impurities are wiped away. It's, it's a refining process that happens in our life. Testing is a refining process that occurs in our lives. It's the more we allow Jesus to refine us, the more we become like him. Job, in the middle of being tried, spoke these words in Job 23.10. He said, but he knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. Man, what about you? What about me? When we're tried and when we're tested, when, when we're under the, 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 the vice um, is kind of being tightened against us, how do we respond? Do we come out stronger on the other side or do we come out more bitter, more angry, less like Christ than more like Christ? Erwin Lutzer, he wrote these words, God often puts us in situations that are too much for us that we will learn that no situation is too much for him. It's good words, aren't they? No situation that you and I face are too big for God. Another writer said, God already knows what's in our hearts, but he tests us so we'll see it for ourselves. If the Lord is in our heart, then when we're tested, guess what happens? There's more of the Lord that comes out, not less of him. This testing produces steadfastness. Other of your translations may say patience or endurance. And this Greek word means to remain and under. And Brian Bill says the testing of our faith produces the ability to remain under without going under. You and I can remain under the trial without going 
under because we have the Lord Jesus Christ that is there with us. Your trials are tough. My trials are tough. They may be even more than we can handle on our own, but they're not more than the Lord Jesus Christ can handle. He's made that abundantly clear to us. And when we turn to him and rely upon him, we too can overcome the trials. Notice next, testing produces maturity. In verse 4 we read, And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Jane speaks of the aim of steadfastness, and that is for the believer to become perfect and complete. The trials we go through serve as refining moments in our lives. When we endure and persevere and come out on the other side, we usually don't look the same, do we? Think about the trials that you've gone through in your life. Think about those difficult moments that you've had to endure in your life. When you came out on the other side, were you angry and bitter? Or when you came out on the other side, were you more like Christ? That's the intent of trials. So that we, when we go through them, we can come out on the other side looking more and more like Jesus Christ. Our trials should make us better. They shouldn't make us bitter. They should draw us to Christ. Think about Joseph, okay? If there was ever a man in Scripture that had the right to be bitter, it was Joseph, okay? Joseph was one of 12 brothers, okay? Um, if you know the story about Joseph, you know that, that Joseph was kind of a punk kid, wasn't he? Okay? Um, you know, he was his daddy's favorite, Okay? He was a little arrogant toward his brothers. He told his brothers that one day all of you are going to bow down and serve me. Um, that may have been true. He received that revelation in a vision. But there's a, the right way to share that with your brothers, and there's the wrong way to share that with your brothers. Joseph took the wrong way. How do we know that he took the wrong way? Because his brothers got so mad that they staged his death. They literally sold him into slavery, and, and they went back to their father, and they said, hey, your, your son Joseph is dead. So if anybody had a right to be bitter, it was Joseph. Joseph, he's sold into slavery, and he's purchased by Potiphar, one of, one of, um, one of um, uh, um, Pharaoh's officers. And, and Joseph quickly would rise up in Potiphar's home. He would become the second in command, basically, of his household. Well, well, um, Potiphar's wife kind of took a liking to Joseph, right? Remember the story? Um, she tried to seduce him. Well, well, Joseph, being a man of character, wasn't going to have anything to do with that. So what did Joseph do? Joseph literally ran out of the house and fled the temptation. Well, what was the consequences for that? Was he rewarded for that? No, he was thrown into prison for that. And so he would spend um, years in prison. While he was in prison, he had the opportunity to interpret the dreams of two men, one being the cupbearer and the other being the, the, the bread maker and the cupbearer. Um, and Joseph, apparently they had agreement, and, and, and the agreement was this, hey, when you get out of here, please report to the king who I am and what I've done. And, and the cupbearer gets out, and he doesn't report what had happened, Right? And so Joseph, once again, is, is left in that prison. Eventually, he's going to get out, and he's going to rise up, and he's going to lead the people of Egypt. Well, here's the deal. If Joseph would have gotten bitter, if Joseph would have thrown in the towel, if Joseph would have had a pity party, then guess what? 
thousands upon thousands of people would not have been able to find shelter in Egypt. The people of Israel would not have been able to find shelter in Egypt and found food and covering that they needed during the famine. Joseph didn't get bitter. Joseph got better. And because of that, many, many people's lives were saved. Ultimately, our trials produce Christ-likeness. Again, in verse 4, we read, And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Once again, if we look at our testing, as did Job and Joseph and Abraham and others, and see them as refining moments. When we come out on the other side, we're going to look more and more like Christ. Peter, in 1 Peter 6 through 7, he speaks to this refining process. He, he wrote, In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. I mean, that's what a trial is. It's a grieving process, isn't it? Man, because, because trials hurt. Losing those we love hurt. Going through the, the, the loss of a job or a financial struggle or having to move away from friends, those things hurt. It is a trial. And we are grieved by those. And Peter makes that clear. And then in verse 7 we read, so that... The tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. One day, every precious metal is going to pass away, but, but, but we will not pass away as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? We are going to be made more like Christ as we go through these trials, if we turn to him and rely upon him. David was a man who certainly understood what a trial was. In Psalm 40, 1 through 4, we get a picture of what, how he dealt with his trials. He turned to the Lord. In verse 1 we read, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction. He drew me out of, 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 that, of that pothole or that sinkhole is what we're seeing here in Scripture. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. We can respond to our trials by running or retreating from the Lord, or we can respond by stepping up under his banner and allowing him to strengthen us and to refine us and to make us more like him. You know, we all have moments where, where we experience um, these trials. I, I came across this poem called the oyster. And, and the words go like this. There once was an oyster story, I tell, who found that sand had got under his shell. Just one little grain, but it gave him much pain. For oysters have feelings, although they're so plain. Now, did he berate the working of fate, which had led him to such a deplorable state? Did he curse out the government, call for an election, no, as he lay on the shelf, he said to himself, if I cannot remove it, I'll try to improve it. So the years rolled by as the years always do, and he came to his ultimate destiny, stew. And this small grain of sand, which had bothered him so, was a beautiful pearl 
all richly aglow. Now this tale has a moral, for isn't it grand what an oyster can do with a morsel of sand? What couldn't we do if we'd only begin with all the things that get under our skin? We can turn a trial into a beautiful testimony, or we can allow that trial to ruin us and to make us worse. As I indicated when we were getting started, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend time next week in verse 5, but we're going to just look at it just for a second. But notice point number four, it is this, a giving father. You and I serve a giving God, don't we? In the midst of all of the trials that we go through, we can know and be certain that there is a loving God who wants the absolute best for us. And we are given this promise that during our trials, if we turn to the Lord and seek his wisdom, he will give it to us. Notice verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Just like verse 2, verse 5 has an imperative. It says, if anyone lacks wisdom, what do they do? They ask God. I don't know about you, but I don't know everything in this world, okay? In fact, the older I get, the less I actually know. But here's what I do know. I know that regardless of what situation I go through, I can go to the source of all knowledge, to the God of the universe, to his son Jesus Christ, to the Holy Spirit, and I can, I can be provided with all that I need to know to get through the trials that I go through. You know, if there's one thing that, that I pray we take away from this message this morning, it is this. I pray that we will all realize and all stop going through our trials alone. There have been times in my life that because of maybe the distance between my relationship with God and where it needed to be. When I went through a trial, my immediate reaction is, how am I going to fix this? You been there? You ever tried to fix your trials yourself? Try to rely upon your own strength? I have. It may just be me, okay? I may be the only oddball in this room. But here's what I know, that when I go to the Lord, the Lord is going to provide me with what I need, just like he will you. So let's stop going through our trials alone, and let's turn to the Lord who is there to help us go through all of them. We have this, okay, because he has us. Say with me, okay, this, this next little phrase up here. I have this because he has me. Say it with me. I have this because he has me. You have this trial or that trial or whatever trial it is because God has you. C.S. Lewis said, why do the righteous suffer? He replied, why not? They're the only ones who can take it. You're the only ones. We're the only ones as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ that can truly walk through a trial understanding that God has this. Folks, we can become bitter or better. We can withdraw from life or we can live life. 
We can allow our trials to make us darker, or we can allow our trials to make us pure. Remember, testing makes us stronger. Testing makes us mature. And testing makes us more like Christ. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that any trial that you're going through, you can overcome underneath the banner of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? If you don't believe it, I want you to know that you can. If you haven't relied upon the banner of Jesus, let me encourage you to begin to rely upon the banner of Jesus. If you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you don't know for certain if you were to die today where you'd spend eternity, I want to invite you this morning to make the greatest decision that you could ever make, and that is to confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And the Bible says that if you do that, you will be saved. So if you're here this morning and you've never experienced salvation, you've never experienced the cleansing blood of Jesus, you've never experienced the forgiveness of your sins, I want to invite you this morning to make the greatest decision that you could ever make. Let's stand together. I'm going to lead us in a time of invitation. And if there's a decision you need to make, you come. You come. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you now, Lord Jesus, is thanking you, Father, for being a good, good Father. Thanking you, Lord Jesus, for the banner that you, that you, um, you cover us with. Thanking you for the promise that we are able to overcome the trials that we are going through. Father, we may not be, um, according to the world standards, victorious when we come on the, out on the other side of those trials, but what we do know is that as believers in Jesus Christ, when we come out on the other side of those trials, we can be found more like you. We can be found complete and lacking in nothing. And so, Father, I pray for all of us in this room, That when we go through those big trials or when we go through those little trials, we recognize that on the other side of them, we can be more complete and more like you. Father, I pray this morning that there is someone here that is yet to receive you as their Lord and Savior, that today they they will cry out to you and ask you to forgive them of their sins and cry out to you to be the Lord and Savior of their lives. Father, there may be a family or families in this place this morning that have yet to... um, yet to um, make friendship their church home. And Father, I pray that they'll do that this morning as well. Father, I don't know what decision needs to be made, but I know that you do. Just lead us and move now. First in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you want to enter into a relationship with him, I'm going to be standing here at the front and I'd love to share with you how you can do that. You may be here this morning, you've been visiting this church a while and and the Lord is leading you to make Friendship Baptist Church your church home. We invite you to do that. Let me just invite you over the next couple of moments. If you feel led, you come. Otherwise, let's just bow our head and close our eyes. Let's spend the next few moments just praying and asking the Lord, what would you have me do this morning as a result of this message. With every head bowed and every eye closed, let's just take a moment to pray. If you have a decision you need to make, you come. Um, Instruments are going to play for a moment and then we'll sing together, but let's pray for the next few moments. And you come.